0: Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be here with you for another edition of this film and entertainment industry podcast. I It's run-of-the-mill stuff today. I got two new releases I'm going to talk about, I got four rapid-fire reviews, and I'm going to give you some updates on the film industry. As always, make sure you follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd, at Sidekick Critic. Seriously, if you're listening to this, download Letterboxd. It's a lot of fun to keep track of the movies you watch, whether you're watching them at home or new release in theaters, to see what other people are thinking. And it's truly the best place to keep up with my movie watching habits as I continuously rate and review almost every movie I watch right there. Um, So I highly recommend you check me out on Letterboxd. Uh, It's like Goodreads, but for movies. I've mentioned this before, I'm going to continue mentioning it because I have lost hours in that app just looking at movies, different directors, actors, what they've done, what I've seen that they've done, looking at lists other people make, making lists myself, it's a lot of fun. So as I talked, as I mentioned, I'm going to give you a little update on where the film industry is at. The biggest news in the film industry still is Barbie. This week, Barbie officially passed the $1 billion mark in worldwide Gross, Uh, that makes it the first movie from a solo female director to ever cross a billion dollars. So congratulations to Greta Gerwig on that. It's a great title to hold. Um, She's mentioned before, she doesn't want to be known as just one of the best female directors. She wants to be known as one of the best directors in the world right now. And she's quickly approaching that. I'm very excited to see what she's going to do next. I actually haven't looked it up much, but I probably will after this. Excited. Uh... Through 19 days, Barbie has consecutively held the number one spot at the box office. It's, no movie has been able to supplant it so far. It was always going to be ahead of Oppenheimer. That was clear from the early days of tracking on this. Haunted Mansion couldn't knock it off. The Meg 2 couldn't knock it off. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hasn't been able to knock it off. I think this could have a long, sustained run at the number one spot at the box office. And it also is a good chance to be the number one domestic earner this year, and even top last year's number one, which was Top Gun Maverick. Right now I believe it's sitting at $470-ish million domestically. Mario's in the lead for the year at 574. Through 18 days, Barbie is tracking $50 million ahead of Mario, so it does look like it's a lock to blow Mario out of the water for the highest domestic earner this year. And then Top Gun Maverick, it's $80 million ahead of where that was at 18 days. Top Gun had a very long run. It shocked many people as it just continuously earned money. After a couple months of its release, it was still so popular that it got a re-release in premium formats. It'll be tough. That, Like I said, that's at $718 million domestically. That was last year's top domestic earner at the box office. I hope to see Barbie break it. This I keep talking about it because the movie was so much fun. I've now seen it twice. I know other people who have seen it twice this can continue to earn money. I think it's a lock to hit 650 domestically. I think it, I truly believe it'll pass that 718 because everyone that sees it is telling their friends and family that haven't seen it, they have to go. It's the movie event. I've been to the theater three or four times since I first saw Barbie. It's now almost three weeks out since its initial release and there are still people going to the theater in pink theaters are still nearly sold out for this movie. It's a movie event unlike any other. If you're listening to this, you know I'm a big fan of tracking the box office numbers. I think it's very interesting. I think it's good for theaters that movies are starting to make money again. Barbie is only the seventh or eighth movie post-pandemic to hit a billion dollars, which is huge. And this is the most fun I've had following box office revenue since Avengers Endgame. Endgame was a massive weekend for Marvel. It was shattering records left and right. It was a huge success. And for Barbie to be a phenomenon like that is incredible. While Barbie is not a fully original IP intellectual property, it's original in the film industry. And for this live action movie based on a toy to be doing so, so well is a lot of fun. I'm loving seeing it. The second it's available to be streamed at home, I'll probably watch it again. The movie is just such a good time. I'll probably talk about it again in my next episode. But again, if you haven't seen Barbie, go see it. If you're a fan of film and movies and filmmaking, go see Oppenheimer too. Both of them incredible movies. It's been a lot of fun. Barbie is still being very successful. We are potentially starting to see the impact of these strikes at other movies at the box office as there is no promotion for them. I already talked about the delays in my last episode. Let's give a small update on where the strike's at. The Writers Guild of America, WGA, and AMPTP did have an informal meeting recently, but the two sides are still very far apart. The AMPTP president said, we're only going to meet to discuss certain issues. We can't discuss everything. WGA came back and said, what's the point of meeting then? We want everything on the table. We want to talk about it all. The two sides just aren't there right now. They're still not there. The writer's strike has officially hit 100 days, making it the most significant strike in the film industry since, I believe, 1987. So this is going to continue to drag on. There are two main issues for these two sides are still the minimum staffing requirements on TV shows and the streaming residuals. The studios do not want to budget on that at all. They do not want to talk about it at all and with that hard stance without even being willing to negotiate on a couple points, the rest of the contracts aren't getting agreed upon and filled out. The auxiliary materials in these massive union contracts are not being discussed because rightfully so, the registers are saying, hey, this is what we want to talk about. You can't just completely shut down on a couple of these issues. We have to meet somewhere in the middle. So we're not going to talk until you're ready to talk about all of it. So it will be interesting to see as this continues to unfold, when the studios are going to start talking. I have not seen anything about SAG-AFTRA in the studios talking. Um, SAG announced that in July, they raised over $15 million for the relief fund. That includes $1 million donations from multiple actors and actresses. I already mentioned the $1 million donation or seven-figure donation from Dwayne The Rock Johnson that came out a couple weeks ago. Other uh, A-list stars that have... Come out or have been released that they've made these large donations include Oprah, Meryl Streep, our AMC queen, Nicole Kidman, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and many more. That's what the A list actors could do to help. They need to continue to donate to support this relief fund for the other 150,000 plus members of SAG AFTRA that I don't know their names, you don't know their names, no one knows their names, but they are a pivotal. Pivotal part of these movies that we know and love, and they deserve to be treated fairly. I'm already starting to see articles of some actors and writers that are starting to feel the financial burden of these strikes. They're dipping deep into their savings. They're worried they have maybe two months of savings left before they don't know what they're going to do. They are picking up side gigs, whether it be waiting tables. I saw one woman say she was starting to walk dogs. Um, I believe her quote was, I wrote an award-winning show last year and currently I am picking up dog shit. So the financial burden is starting to be felt on the writer's actors side, though that is a very spread out burden because the unions are so small. I think come September, October, November, the studios are going to start seeing the impact as they have no one to promote their movies. They can only put out trailers and clips of it, which for I know people who that turns them off to the movie when they see too much material for it, they lose the excitement so it'll be interesting to see how the studios react when these strikes start affecting affecting their box office returns that hasn't quite happened yet because you have barbie and oppenheimer the phenomenon that occurred that was a massive box office success so i'm curious to see where this will go and how this will develop i continuously read about it i'll continuously keep you updated on it all right Let's go on to my rapid fire reviews. Four movies to talk about today. Quite a wide spectrum of the movies, so let's dive right in. Here's my review for Margin Call. I actually watched this movie a couple months ago. I'd never heard of it or seen anything about it. It just randomly came up in a uh, list I was looking at on Letterboxd, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. This type of movie is my absolute shit. It's one of those historical dramatizations I've talked about Uh, Aiken to The Big Short, The Social Network, Air, and BlackBerry. Um, This one has a unique unique kind of style to it where it's telling the story of the impending 2008 financial crash, but it's focused on one company in a single 24-hour period as certain employees start to realize what's coming and the higher-ups are called in and it's late into the night and they're trying to figure out how to handle this impending doom of the financial sector. Uh, it's a star stud cast. It features great performances from Kevin Spacey, who we're not big on anymore, but we'll move on from him. We don't need to talk about him. It's got Zachary Quinto, Simon Baker, Demi Moore, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Stanley Tucci and Penn Badgley. The last two there are going to be in another movie I talk about in a little bit, but what a great cast, what great performances across the board from them. I'm biased. I love this style movie. I think they're a lot of fun if I see it on cable, which I never watch anymore, but if I do, I would drop the remote and let it play out in its entirety, no matter where the movie is at. I think this is completely worth a watch. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It may have been removed from Amazon Prime. You might have to rent it now, but for $3.99, this movie is a really good hour and a half to two hours. It's worth the watch. 7.8 out of 10 on margin call. All right, moving on. My review for Moonlight. What a heavy, heavy, but incredible movie this is. The winner of Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars for 2016, fully deserving of its awards. This movie was amazing. Mahershala Ali is only in the movie for 45 minutes, but he is at his peak acting abilities, fully deserving of his Best Supporting Actor nod an incredible performance. I thought he was going to be more in the movie, but he wasn't. The movie tells the story of this boy turned teen, turned man. Uh, his mother abuses drugs and it's him going through life a, in a less fortunate situation and discovering his sexuality and what that means to him. I, It's incredible. Barry Jenkins is a director on this film. I think he is right there in line with Damon Chazelle and Greta Gerwig of these up and coming directors that I'm excited for their next project. His next project is Mufasa, the Lion King. It's a Lion King prequel, it's slated to come out next year. I cannot wait. Um, and this movie's great. Uh, as I talked about, it follows this uh, person's life in three distinct sections when he's eight, when he's a high schooler, and when he's a grown man. And it's played by three different actors. His friend Kevin is present in all three parts of his life, also played by three different actors. And the ability to direct these performers through performances where they're also played by someone else is truly incredible. The performances are amazing in this movie. Alex Hibbert, Ashton Sanders, and Trevante Rhodes play Little or Sharone or Chiron or Black as He's named in the movie, and the different nicknames he's given as he's going through these vastly different stages of his life. His friend Kevin is played by Jaden Piner, Jarell Jerome, and Andre Holland. Also, great performances. This movie was uh, allowed me to vocalize something that I actually haven't been able to vocalize before. But I felt it's not a movie I can relate to. I'm not black. I'm not gay. I did not have a drug abusive mother. I have lived a very fortunate life, so I cannot truly relate to it, but it was so well made that I was instantly able to sympathize and to understand these characters and this story and what it was trying to say. And the movie is fully deserving of Best Picture over La La Land. While I love La La Land, Moonlight is just so heavy. If you're a fan of those heavy movies that tell a really good story and can make you feel Watch Margin Call, or not Margin Call, Watch Moonlight, 9.2 out of 10. I loved this movie. Okay, the next movie I'm going to talk about today is from director Dennis Villeneuve. my review for Sicario. Another great movie. Sicario is incredibly gruesome. It's intense. But it never feels like it's taking too many liberties with the action and the gore. Uh, It's centered around the Mexican cartel and an FBI agent and black ops as they fight this Mexican cartel. Uh, I I thoroughly love this movie. Denis Villeneuve is one tier below Christopher Nolan in terms of current directors for me. And I don't mean that as an insult. That's a compliment. Nolan is 1A. Villeneuve is 1B. I think Dune 2 performs as well and is as good a movie as I think it is, Dennis is right there at the top, uh, the peak of his game, the peak of directors in Hollywood currently. Uh, like I said, he did the first Dune movie. He did Arrival, Prisoners, all fantastic movies I highly recommend. I need to watch Blade Runner for 2049 as that's his movie, and I've heard great things. And he's really able to bring out the best of each performer on set. This movie stars and is focused on Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro, Josh Brolin. All of them are absolutely amazing. And then you have supporting roles from Daniel Kaluuya, John Bernthal, and more that really drive home how well acted this movie is. Benicio del Toro especially is uh, menacing in this movie at times. He is fantastic. The other aspect is the score uh johan johansson did the score he worked on arrival and prisoners with Villeneuve, and he builds this anxiety inducing score that keeps the tension high for the entire two hour runtime and it's an appropriately timed two hours it never feels too long or too short or rushed just fantastic i love this movie if you're a fan of action movies i highly recommend watching it Sometimes I go into action movies expecting them to be an easy watch. This movie was intense and heavy, and I loved it. 8.8 out of 10 on Sicario. All right, changing pace heavily here with my last rapid-fire review. My review for Easy A. I threw this on just last night to rewatch it because I figured, what the hell, might as well. This is a fun movie. I love it. It. This is the movie, looking back on it, that really announced Emma Stone to the world as a movie star prior to this she had done super bad house bunny zombie land was not top build in any of those movies but got an increasingly large role with a couple other movies mixed in between but this movie was all her it was the announcement party for her as a movie star uh easy a is one of those uh high school era movies where it's it's not high school. No one there looks like they're high school age, dresses like they're in high school, or acts like they're in high school, but we call it a high school movie. It's a rom-com. It's very funny. It does tell an important story about rumor-mongering in high school and how that affects someone. And I loved it. After Easy A, she start getting bigger and bigger roles. Uh, crazy Stupid Love, The Help, The Amazing Spider-Man, to where now she's an A-list star and is getting roles like Battle of the Sexes, across from Steve Carell, La La Land with Ryan Gosling, Cruella, a movie centered around her from Disney. She is an A-list movie star now, and Easy A is really the announcement of her entering that A-list movie star level. The, The movie also has an amazing cast, and it's one of those, it's like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme that's going around with Oppenheimer, of when you're watching it, you're constantly pointing at the screen like, oh my god, I recognize them, I recognize them, I know them. Uh, like I mentioned, another movie with Penn Badgley and Stanley Tucci. It's easy A. Uh, Penn Badgley you may know from Gossip Girl or You. Uh, Stanley Tucci is in so many things. Uh, I was first introduced to him, I think, in Devil Wears Prada, um, Margin Call. Uh, he's in the first Captain America film. Great actor. I love Stanley Tucci. I actually want to read his memoir one day because I've heard great things about it. Then you have Lisa Kudrow's in this. Amanda Bynes. Allie Maholka, who you may know from her uh, musical group with her sister, Allie and AJ. Uh, potential breakup sh- song, "Shadow Abbey." Abby. I did instantly know that when I realized who she was because you constantly play that song. Uh, Dan Bird from A Cinderella Story, Fred Armisen. A fun movie, a great cast. Uh, whether you haven't seen it or you have seen it, throw this movie on. It's just a good time. Seven out of ten. You can never go wrong with a funny comedy movie such as this. All right, that's the last of my rapid-fire reviews. There's a fun variety of rapid-fire reviews today in movies I've watched recently. Moving on back to the new releases, what's happening currently. Here's my review for Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. This movie, somehow, simultaneously, it let me down, but it was also better than I expected. We're going to start with the ugly aspect of the movie, what I disliked the most, the CGI young Harrison Ford was not good. It it didn't look good to me at all. It looked way too fake. It was still current Harrison Ford's voice, so there was a disconnect between what he sounded like and what he looked like, though he didn't look good regardless. The physical aspects, the stunts when he was supposed to be younger, did not look good. He still moves like the aged actor Harrison Ford is. I'm begging the studios, please stop de-aging these actors, please. If you need to do a flashback for some context, cast someone else in it. Make him much younger than the original Indiana Jones. Cast someone that's younger and move on. It's it's way better. We don't need this constant de-aging. It just doesn't work a lot of the times. That's the ugly. The bad is this movie is way too long. Two and a half hours for this. I did not need two and a half hours you could trim 30 to 45 minutes on this movie easily. Whether it be cut down in the backstory in the young Harrison Ford, or cut down in some of the chase scenes in this movie, as there are multiple of them that just went on for way too long like five to 10 minutes a piece and across three or four different chase scenes. Cut those back. You can give us two to three minutes on it. We get the point. It's a good chase. You got some cool shots in there. Move on. We don't need that much time. Just running after each other, driving, whatever it may be. Um, And that's the bad. Really, those two bad aspects are pretty bad in the fact that it's never good to sit in a movie and think, wow, this is still going. Or to think, wow, this looks terrible. I don't feel invested in this movie because it just doesn't look good. But there is a lot of good to it. The older Indiana Jones. Uh, There's a lot of depth and realism to it. Harrison Ford did a great job. I think it's one of his best performances as Indiana Jones. I loved this aged version of him where he's moving slower. He has a different outlook on life based on everything that's happened to him. I, I did really enjoy that. He was struggling with the physical aspects, which makes sense when Indiana Jones at this point is 70, 80, whatever he may be. Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Helena Shaw was great. Uh, She's a very charismatic actress. I loved her in this. I thought she added quite a bit to the movie. I'll touch on this a little bit more later, but I would be okay with the indie franchise continuing with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And then the actual plot of the movie I did enjoy. I was invested. A twist in the final third really kept me invested in it. Um, I love... Movies that really dive into some ancient history, and I think that was one of the strongest aspects of this movie, explaining the history and discovering more of it and what it all means. So, there are bright spots to this movie, don't get me wrong, but there are a couple really bad spots and not good things. So, very mid on this movie overall. It's definitely some of the worst action sequences across all the Indiana Jones movies, but it's not the worst indie movie. I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is last for me personally. Then you got this one, Dial of Destiny, right below Temple of Doom. Then The Last Crusade, and Nothing Will Ever Beat Raiders of the Lost Ark. That movie was just amazing. I love it. I recently watched it, as I mentioned on my last episode. I think I thoroughly enjoyed the first Indiana Jones movie, but it's an aged Indiana Jones. He's still quick-witted, he's still got this wry sense of humor, and he still really hates Nazis. What more can you ask for out right, of an Indiana Jones movie? That's all you really need. I, I love that the Nazi hate is still there when it's now the late 60s. I believe this movie is based at the time of the moon landing, or shortly after, so that was pretty good. I will say to Disney, I think it's time to either retire the Indiana Jones franchise or move on from it entirely Lucasfilm, or give it the James Bond treatment. Wait 10 to 15 years and put a different actor or actress in the Indiana Jones role. Uh, Harrison Ford has said, Indiana Jones will die with me. He's my character. That's ultimately not up to him. And I think these studios have proven nothing speaks more than money. If you can wait 10 to 15 years, cast a new actor, maybe at that point, an Adam Driver type actor in the Indiana Jones role, let him make this franchise his own, do something different with it, base it in a different time period. I think it'd be great. I really do. I think there's a good chance that this IP is not dead, but financially, this movie has been a big flop. It had a massive $300 million budget, which was never going to turn a profit on, in my opinion. I was able to catch it in its last week of theatrical run. It's already going to be out of theaters and on Disney+, Plus, which is a very quick turnaround. So the Indiana Jones future is... Up in the air, Lucasfilm as a whole is kind of up in the air with the last Star Wars movie being poorly received, some of their shows not being received great, Indiana Jones now not being received great. It'll be really interesting to see where Disney and Lucasfilm go with this IP. Overall, The Dial of Destiny is getting a 6.5 out of 10 from me. Once again, I didn't love it. I wasn't blown away, but I didn't hate it. So do with that what you will if you have at all a connection to Indiana Jones, if it holds a special place in your heart, as I know it does for many people, if you really enjoyed the first one or you remember watching it with your dad or grandfather, whatever it may be, this is worth the watch on Disney Plus at home if you can get it, because there are some moments that really pull at those nostalgic heartstrings, so to say. So I, if I were you, I would give Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny a shot. All right, I got one more movie, one more new release to talk about today, my review for shortcomings another original story in the world of film another directorial debut for Randall Park you may know him from uh Ant-Man in the MCU always be my Na- maybe he played Asian Jim on The Office as I know a lot of people know that and many more comedy movies and whatnot i the more i think about this movie the more i enjoyed it um I've been really enjoying these independent films I've been watching that are new stories and new concepts, not a part of some massive film IP or franchise. That makes six of the last seven movies I've seen that are original stories in the film industry. You have Past Lives, No Hard Feelings, Joyride, Barbie and Oppenheimer. While they are based on other IP, they are original in the film industry. And... There's one more I'm drawing a blank on. Oh, Theater Camp and Talk to Me. So that's seven of the last eight. Asteroid City before that. I've been watching a lot more of this style movie in the past few months. And I've been really enjoying them. They're movies that are really standing out. The Flash let me down. Mission Impossible wasn't as good as I hoped it was while I still enjoyed it. Indiana Jones let me down a little bit. These original stories are great. Shortcomings uh, is focused on our protagonist, Ben, who has some major character flaws. His girlfriend decides to take an internship in New York while he lives in California, and they take a break. Ben is a massive cinephile that is very stuck up about his sense of art and movies and his viewpoint on the world. And he's just kind of... Honestly, he's just kind of a dick about it. And it's a very interesting protagonist to focus on with this movie because... Throughout the movie, it becomes increasingly easy to want bad things almost to happen to him, yet somehow you continue to root for him. And I think everyone knows people like that in their life where they continuously make the wrong decision or do things they shouldn't do or have character flaws that are really just bad, but somehow you're still rooting for them to be better. You want them to improve and be a better person and our Ben in this movie is no different. Played by Justin H. Men, A really great and nuanced performance by him. I'm looking forward to whatever he does next. He was fantastic in this movie. Um, I think Randall Park did a great job directing this. It's based on a comic book by Adrian Tomine. And Park said he was struck by how real and authentic it felt to him. And he saw a lot of himself in that story. And he strove, along with the cast and crew, to... Keep that same authenticity and really deliver what was a great movie and a amazing directorial debut. I think um, on that aspect, the movie was amazing for this being the first movie he's directed. Great supporting performances, a lot of a lot of depth. This movie, it's I thought it was going to be funnier based on the short trailer I watched, but it was uh, more serious than I expected. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's some of the funny bits were pretty funny. The movie started by kind of ripping crazy rich Asians as being overhyped. I think it was really funny, but it doesn't in a way that it doesn't diminish what crazy rich Asians did or what it provided in terms of representation. It rightfully countered those points that said the movie is overhyped and not what everyone made it out to be. It really, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, I really enjoyed this movie and part of it could just be that I am quickly building a bias for the independent films for these new directors to put their stamp in the industry and do what they can. I'm trending away from franchises, which I find interesting, but I'll always be excited for the franchises to talk about them as a whole, but independent films are doing great. This was produced in part by Topic Studios, who also helped produce Theater Camp. So two in a row from Topic Studios that I'm really enjoying It's exciting. I'll keep my eye on Topic Studios just like I've been keeping my eye on A24 and watching more of their movies. I think Shortcomings is absolutely worth watching when it's available at home. In hindsight, I probably would have watched this at home if I had to pay for a movie ticket, but I don't have to pay for individual tickets, so of course I'm going to go see it in theaters. 6.5 out of 10 for Shortcomings. When it's available at home, you should watch it because it does tell a really interesting story. All right. That's my last new release. Um, another six movies done and dusted out of the way. A lot of movies still coming up that I want to see. I thought August and September were going to be a lot slower, but I'm looking at my list here, and there's a bunch of movies coming out. I've missed three movies so far that are out in theaters right now that I need to catch. Uh, Haunted Mansion, I'll definitely be seeing that. Uh, spooky Season is quickly approaching. Got to go see Haunted Mansion. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mutant Mayhem. I grew up on those turtles, those martial art, karate, violence-wielding turtles, so I'm going to go watch that without a doubt. I've not heard good things about it, but I'll give it my own shot and try to go into it without a bias and see what I think. Maybe I'll see Meg 2, The Trench, TBD on that. Um, Might just see it because I know what I'm getting into. I'm going to watch a ridiculous movie with Jason Statham and really fucking big sharks. Sometimes... You get what you ask for, and that's one of those movies, I think. Um, and there's a bunch of movies coming up. Uh, just looking at the next two months, August and September, uh, I would like to go see The Last Voyage of the Demeter, another horror film that I'm actually really excited for. August 18th, you have Blue Beetle, the newest installment for uh, the DC Universe, and you have Strays, which looks hilarious, a raunchy movie about dogs and they're talking. August 25th, you have Bottoms, another original comedy, which I'm excited for. You also have Gran Turismo on August 25th, its a new release date. A story I did not know about, A someone who played racing video games and made it into F1. So I'm very curious to learn more about that story, and I've been avoiding reading about it because I want to watch it first. Then September 1st, you have The Equalizer 3. I think with The Equalizer 3, that's when Barbie will probably be knocked off at its number one spot. I can't see any of those others. Knocking it off. I don't think there's enough excitement around Blue Beetle to knock Barbie out, but there's a chance. We'll see. Um, September fifteenth, you have a haunting in Venice. Uh, the newest edition of the Hercule Hercule Pierrot detective series. I did not like Death on the Nile. Neither did my fiance Abby. We both actually hated it. One of our lowest reviewed movies last year. Haunting in Venice looks very interesting to me. It's different. They're going for more of a horror, thriller, suspense vibe than the kind of comedy detective vibe. So really excited for The Haunting in Venice, actually, especially with that September 15th release date gearing up for Halloween. September 22nd, you have Dumb Money. I talked about it with Margin Call. That movie's right up my alley. It's the story of the man who sold the world on the GameStop Stock and the meme stock it became and hedge fund guys losing billions of dollars on that. Very excited. And then another original story, the creator, September 29th, in a future controlled by AI, people decide to fight back. Let's see what happens. Really excited for all those movies. But that poses an interesting other topic for me of, I do still have a day job. Uh, Unfortunately, I am not podcasting for a living yet. But right now with my day job, I have a work trip coming up, a week-long trip uh, towards the end of August. So I will it's going to impact my podcasting schedule. I've been really good the last couple months about posting more, about recording more episodes, trying to get a schedule and continuously put content out. This will impact it as I don't know if in the next couple weeks leading up to it, how many movies I'll be able to see. I don't know if I'll be able to watch enough movies at home to record episode and have content and movies to talk about. I'm going to try to record an episode next week. Hopefully I can see two new releases before then and talk about those with you. And in that same time, I may try and record an extra episode to see if I can get another um, episode out while I'm away. I'm thinking that episode, it definitely won't be a typical episode based on any new movies or recent movies I watched. I think I might do something along the lines of maybe an episode all about Marvel or an episode that's a bunch of different top five lists or maybe a year recap so far. This episode right now is going to be my 18th episode. My next episode will be 19th. So maybe it'll be fitting to do four different top five lists, lists, talk about 20 movies for my 20th episode, TBD. Maybe I'll ask the listeners what they think I should do. But I'm going to try to have two episodes in the bank prepped for the next two weeks. We will see, but I'll keep watching movies. And at some point, if for some reason I can't get a single episode out for two weeks, I'll be back right after that with a new episode talking about movies, filling you in on what's happened in the movie industry, where the strikes are at, maybe they're resolved by that point. We'll see. But I'm excited. I've been watching a lot more movies. I've been going to the movies. I Two or three weeks in a row now, I've run out of showtimes where tomorrow, Thursday night, I'd like to go see another movie, but I can't because I'm out of viewings for the week. So really getting those numbers up there. I'm closing in my year goal of 52 movies, which is very exciting. And yeah, so make sure you follow me on Instagram, TikTok at Sidekick Critic. That's where I'll actually probably keep you updated on what my podcast schedule will be. I'll post a poll on what I should do for episode number 20. I'm going to hope to pre-record it and I'm excited for that. I post clips, I share stories of what I find interesting. Follow me there. Follow me on Letterboxd, especially if I do take a 2-week break because that's where you can keep up with my movie watching habits even though I'm not here talking about them and like, comment, share, review, tell anyone you know that loves movies to to give my podcast a listen because I'm really getting the hang of this. I'm feeling good about these episodes. I'm loving talking about movies and watching movies. And thank you for stopping by. As always, my name is Andrew Crosby. I'm your host for the Sidekick Critic Podcast, and I'll see you next time.